I'm glad you're here. Boy, we got some of y'all that hadn't been here in forever. I am so glad that you're back with us. I was beginning to wonder what happened to you, but I'm glad you're here, and I'm only kidding about that, but thank you for being here. We have missed you sorely, and I'm glad you're back with us, and I trust going forward that God is going to take care of us. I know he will, and watch over us, and so I'm just glad you're back. Boy, we had a good crowd, a good 8.30 service this morning. And I appreciate you being here. What a good crowd for our 10 o'clock service today. Let me mention a couple of things just real fast. Don't forget, on your way in or out of the buildings, the uh, offering receptacles are set here at the doors. And uh, so um, we could sure use your help. Thank you for last Sunday's. Last Sunday was Stewardship Sunday, and we were right on point with that last Sunday. So thank you for your giving. But don't forget, of course, today is our regular church offering. We need help, so please drop it in the offering plate uh, or the receptacles as you leave. Can I say a word just real fast about masks in the church? Uh, it, would probably, it would probably be safe if we all wore masks. Uh, when we come to church. However, I know that, you know, that's something I can't make you do, and that's entirely up to you. But for those that are wearing masks, don't, don't, don't look down on them. They're just trying to protect themselves and look after themselves. And so uh, I, I, whatever way you want to do that, it's up to y'all. But uh, I, appreciate, I appreciate you coming, uh, whether you're masked or unmasked. Thank you for coming. And, uh, but we do make masks available. Like I said, it'd probably be good if we ought. I'd hate to kind of preach with one of them things on. I'd probably be gagging to death for air. I'm kind of claustrophobic anyway a little bit. I can get in a tight place, and i got to get out real fast. But uh, anyway, if you want to please wear a mask, feel free to do so. They're at the Welcome Center. They're not going to cost you a dime. We make them available for you, and we want you to feel safe as you come to and from church. And then don't forget, the nurseries are open. Uh, we have those ultraviolet lights that are in there that we run periodically to kill all the germs. I mean, down. I mean, they're, they're, even, broad, they're even said to kill head lice. So, I mean, uh, we shouldn't even have more problems with head lice. And so if you get head lice, just walk in there and let it zap on you a minute. You won't have no more. And, uh, but anyway, uh, so we're trying to make everybody safe as we possibly can. And so I just appreciate you coming to church this morning. All right, how many of you got your Bible this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God? I know you've already done that. Maybe I forgot to ask the 830 crowd, so we do you all twice, all right? Let's open our Bible to page number 999 this morning, or the book of uh, uh, the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 5. And I want to ask you to join me as we work our way through some verses this morning. Keep your Bible open and just follow me along this morning. Don't forget our service tonight. I'm looking forward to tonight being back together, our whole church family. The last uh, two Sunday nights, we've had to sit people over there in the cafeteria and Folks in the choir, which is good, a blessing. And uh, I'm just looking forward to the day all this is going to be over with. Amen. And uh, so uh, we can all be back together again and kind of get back to a little bit of normalcy in our life. Matthew chapter 5, uh, page 999. If you're there, would you say amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. I was reading this week, and according to Article 2, Section 3, Clause number 1 of the United States Constitution, it is required of the President of the United States to periodically give to Congress information regarding the State of the Union. In other words, that's why we have a State of the Union address, State of the Union address each and every year. During the first 100 years of our nation, presidents generally just wrote the speech out and hand-delivered it to the congressman and just asked them to read it. Beginning, however, back in 1913, the 28th president of the United States, his name was Woodrow Wilson, 
he not only hand-delivered the uh, State of the Union address, but he also verbally spoke the State of the Union address as well. That's the reason usually sometime in the month of January each year the president of our nation lays out his agenda, his ideas to the Congress of our nation and also to the people of America each year in the State of the Union address. Well, what we have this morning in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6 and chapter 7 could rightly be called the State of the World address that was given by the Lord Jesus, the King. Now, of course, we commonly refer to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as the Sermon on the Mount. It is without doubt the greatest sermon that was ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. According to verse number 1, Jesus has gone up into a mountain, and his disciples have followed him up there along with all the multitudes that are beginning to follow. I mean, Jesus is moving now toward the pinnacle of his ministry, and he has multitudes that are following him. And they've gone up into this mountain, and Jesus sets down. His disciples are around him. The multitudes are there, and the Bible said that Jesus opened his mouth, according to verse 2, and he began to teach them. He began to speak to them. Now, when Jesus finished this address, when he finished this message, uh, we know that the people were not yawning. They had not fallen asleep. They were not bored to tears. In fact, to the contrary. The Bible said that when Jesus finished the speech, that people were absolutely astonished by what he said. Now, let me put that for South County language. They were blown away by what Jesus said. Well, you know we've been thinking along these lines on Sunday mornings of getting to meet the king. Matthew wrote a gospel, wrote a book, and, and the gospel that we call the gospel of Matthew, and the purpose behind that was to introduce people to the king. I want to say again, the most noble thing that you and I can be about in these days is we need to be about the business of introducing people to the king. You know, Matthew was a tax collector. He, he got saved uh, out of ta being a tax collector. He was a betrayer to his own nation. And the Lord walked by one day and old Matthew got saved. And we know that Matthew was a tax collector. He was good at keeping accounts. He was good at keeping records. So as Jesus spoke this message that day on top of that mountain, there sat Matthew in that massive crowd. Matthew was sitting there with a pen in his hand, and as Jesus began to speak, as Jesus spoke, Matthew wrote. And he recorded for us this masterful sermon of the Lord Jesus. Now, I, last week, I kind of began looking at this message by just saying the Lord introduced this message, his, his introduction. You know, every sermon's got to have an introduction. And his sermon was a nine-point introduction that we commonly refer to as the Beatitudes. Each one of these Beatitudes begin with the word blessed. Now you talk about reaching out and grabbing the heart of his listeners right up front. When Jesus used the word blessed, which means happiness in the plural, or when Jesus used the word blessed, which simply means happiness to the highest degree, to the highest heaven, you better know people set up and listen because I think everybody wants to be happy. I don't think anybody sets out to live a miserable life. Am I right? I am right about that, right? I'm looking at some of y'all and I'm thinking, well, uh, most everybody. But none of us set out to be miserable. I don't think anybody in here wants to live life to the highest degree of misery. No, on the contrary, we want to live life to the highest degree of happiness. Well, Jesus began these statements. Look at verse 3, blessed. And, of course, we could say, say it like this, oh, the happinesses of. 
or we can say it like this, to the highest heavens, happiness to those. And then he gives these conditions. Look at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 4, blessed are they that mourn. Verse 5, blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. Verse 6, verse 7, blessed are the merciful. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, verse number 9, blessed are the peacemaker. Verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Verse 11, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. So Jesus here in these nine opening statements of this message lays out for us a surefire recipe for happiness. Amen. Happiness, not as the world gives, but happiness that can only come from God. By the way, not only the kind of happiness that God gives, but also the kind of happiness that God is. Did you know our God is a happy God? Aren't you glad he's a happy God? You know, a lot of people have the wrong concept of God. A lot of people think God is this kind of uh, this angry deity that sits up on the throne of heaven. He's deranged. He's, he's half-cocked. He can't wait for us to mess up so he can bop us on top of the head. That's a lot of people's concept of God. But the Bible said, no, no, that's not the way God is. In fact, over in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 11, we're told that he is the blessed God. The happy God. By the way, and God not only wants us to have happiness, but he wants to give us the kind of happiness that he himself has. I want that kind of happiness in this life, don't you? Life is too short to be miserable. Life is too short to live in a state of misery. So Jesus says, let me lay it out for you now. Here is how to be happy. But i got to tell you something. What Jesus said will bring you happiness and what the world says will bring you happiness is in total contradiction. You know, the world says if you want to be happy, man, get fame, get fortune, uh, have fun. That's the way to happiness. Jesus said, no, if you want to be happy, follow this, this recipe right here. So he begins now, and remember we've broken these nine statements down into statements of uh, three categories of three beatitudes. For instance, in verse 3, 4, and 5, Jesus tells us how to enter the family of God. Enter the family of God. In verse 6, 7, and 8, Jesus tells us how to express the family of God. How to let others know that you're in the family. And then in verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11, Jesus tells us how to enjoy being in the family of God. Now look at that, those first three, verse 3, verse 4, and verse 5. Here's how to enter the family of God. And he begins with the, the, the blessedness in verse number 3, the blessedness of emptiness. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Now, he isn't talking about being in poverty, financially speaking, but he's talking about being poor in spirit. He's talking about understanding yourself, seeing yourself as God says you really are. Boy, it's hard to get people to see that anymore, aren't they? isn't it? I mean, when you try to get a man to understand how lost he is, how ungodly he is, how wicked he is, man will spend uh, time telling you how good he is how moral he is, how upright he is. But we understand the Bible says the picture that God paints of humanity is not a very pretty picture. I mean, God paints humanity as lost and wicked and ungodly. That's the way we are. By the way, that's the way we all are. From the White House all the way down to the Poor House. 
from Main Street to Back Street, everybody is ungodly and wicked in the sight of God. We are poor, poverty-stricken in spirit. We have nothing to offer God in return for God's favor. Can I have an amen? We have absolutely nothing to offer God in return for God to look down upon us and say, you deserve to be saved. You deserve to live in Him. Quite to the contrary. Nobody deserves it, but aren't you glad? We serve a God who's willing to save anybody that'll come to Him. The blessedness of nothingness. But then he moves from that to verse 4 to the blessedness of brokenness. In other words, when we see ourselves as God sees us, when we understand how sinful we really are, then we understand why Jesus had to die on Calvary. We understand it was the, our sin, the nail of our sins that held the Son of God to the cross of Calvary. It was us. It was not just the Romans. It was not just the Jews that put Jesus on the cross. Look, I'm guilty of that. And so are you. We are guilty of killing the Son of God. And brother, that ought to cause us to be broken about it. I mean, sin is no laughing matter. Sin is not something that we joke about. The Bible said that fools make a mock at sin. Hey, dirty jokes are not anything to laugh at. Seeing somebody falling down drunk or high on drugs, that's not something to laugh about. Listen, that ought to break our heart because that kind of doing put the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. The blessedness, all oh, the happiness of those who understand how lost they are and then they grieve over it. Amen. Then look at verse 5. The blessedness then of willingness. You see, we understand how sinful we are. We're poor in spirit. We mourn and we weep over that, but then we yield ourselves. We're meek. Look at verse 5. Blessed are the meek. We yield ourselves to the Lord Jesus. And guess what? We enter the family of God. By the way, have you, have you taken those three steps? Have you ever saw yourself as God sees you? Have you ever mourned and wept over your lost condition? Have you willingly surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus? If you have, put her there. Welcome to the family. Aren't you glad to be a part of God's family? I'm glad to be saved. I'm talking about with COVID-19. I'm talking about with all the upheaval going on in our world today. I am glad to be a part of the family of God. Amen. And you are too if you're saved. But now let's move from that. Because we understand from these statements not only how to enter God's family, but we understand from these statements how to express God's family. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean by that is this. If you're genuinely saved, if you've entered the family, there ought to be a difference in your life. Can I have an amen? There ought to be a difference in the life of people who are in God's family from those who are not in God's family. You know, Matthew's life was different. When Matthew got saved, when he started following the Lord, I imagine everybody around him kind of sit up and took knowledge and said, man, something's happened to old Matthew. I mean, look, he's left his tax-collecting business. He's following Jesus. I'm telling you, something's happened to that old boy. And people ought to look at us and say, man, something's happened to that old boy. Something's happened to that girl. I tell you, they're, they're different than they used to be. Hey, knowing Jesus, friend, will not only make a difference in how you die, knowing Jesus ought to make a difference in how you live. 
Amen. There ought to be a difference in our lives. I heard about this old boy that was bad to drink. I mean terrible to drink. And his wife had given him ultimatum after ultimatum about quit, quit drinking and straightening up and doing right. And finally, one night, he come home from work, got ready. She, he knew she, she knew he was getting out to, to uh, go get drunk. And she said, I'm telling you, if you come home drunk, I'm done with you. I'm done with this marriage. I'm done with you. I mean, don't even bother to come home if that's the way you're going to be. So he goes off that night to get drunk. He comes home. Man, she's locked him out of the house. He's beating on the door. Let me in. She said, I told you, if you went off and got drunk again, I'm done with you. I'm done with this marriage. She said, I packed your bags. They're sitting on the stoop. Take them and be gone. And he left. Several days went by. He's living on the street now. And finally, he walks by a little storefront church and he hears them singing a song that his mama used to sing. Well, he was drawn to that. He went in, he sat down on the back row with his little satchel, sat on the back row. The preacher preached the gospel and the old boy got gloriously saved by the grace of God. He goes home, he's beating on the door. Let me in. She said, I told you, I'm done. He said, you don't understand. I got saved tonight. I'm a new person. Well, she let him in. He goes off to work the next day. He comes home that night. He's getting dressed. She said, where are you going? He said, I'm going back. They're having revival down at the storefront church. I'm going back. And he tears off. He's just happy. He goes off to church. He comes home that night, and he's sad. She said, honey, what's wrong? She said, he said, well, honey, when I got down there tonight, said everybody in the storefront church at the revival meeting had on a white shirt. I didn't have on a white shirt. Oh, she said, if you'll go back tomorrow night, I'll be sure you got a white shirt. She got one out of the closet that morning. She bleached it. Man, she had it ironed and it looked good. He came home from church that night. She held up that church. Oh, he was so happy. That shirt, he was so happy. He tore off the church that night, came home. He was sad again. He said, honey, what happened? Didn't they like your white shirt? He said, mama, it's not my white shirt. He said, down there, everybody's got red letters on their white shirt. Oh, she said, well, look, if you go back tomorrow night, I'll put some red letters on your white shirt. Well, he goes off to work the next morning. She thinks to herself, what in the world am I going to write on this shirt? She wasn't very educated. She didn't know what to write, but she looked out the front window of their house, and right across the street, writing, painting on the front of a storefront building, there was a guy over there painting a message on the storefront of that building. Well, she thought, well, I'm going to go over there and I'll just copy what he writes. So she started writing, he started writing, she started making lines and letters and, and uh, finally gets it all done. He comes home that night, she holds up, holds up that shirt with him, white shirt with red letters. He tears off to the mission church that night and he comes home that night, not sad, but happy. She said, what happened? She said, Mama, man, they loved my white shirt with my red letters. She said, well, what does it say? He said, Mama, they told me it says now operating under new management. Can I tell you something, friend? When you get saved, you ought to start operating under new management. I'm telling you, there ought to be a difference in your life. I'm telling you, there ought to be a day and dark difference. There ought to be a, a light and dark difference in your life when you begin to follow the king. There ought to be a difference. I'm, I'm burdened about people who say they get saved, but there's no difference in their life. I mean, buddy, there ought to be some... I'm talking about even a little child has a difference in their life when they get saved. 
I know that difference may not be as dramatic in some as it is in others. I get all that. Some people have sunk way down in the mire of sin, and when they get saved, I mean, man, it's just an automatic, just presto, change, oh, boom. There's a difference. Other people may not have gone down as far in sin, but I'll tell you this, bless your heart, there ought to be a change in your life. When you meet the king, there ought to be a difference in your life. Has there been a difference in your life? I mean, buddy, has there been a change in your attitudes? Well, I want to show you this morning from Matthew chapter 5, I want to show you from the Word of God how we can express the family of God, how we let others know that we're part of God's family. Look at verse 6, verse 7, and verse number 8. Let's go over these three things real fast. First of all, Jesus says this, Oh, the blessedness of hungriness. The blessedness of hungriness. Now look at verse 6. Blessed are they. Happy are they. Happy to the highest degree are the hungry and the thirsty. Now believe it or not, Jesus has just addressed two of the great problems that our world has today. Number one is hungry, uh, hungriness, and number two is thirstiness. Our, our world struggles. How many commercials do you see on TV inviting you to drop some cans off somewhere to feed hungry people? I mean, we got people in our church today. I think about Brother Zane West. And now that school's been out since, what, March and all through the summer and so forth, he drives school buses. He drives a school bus every day to different communities and drops food off so that children will have something to eat. You know why? Hunger is a real problem in our world today. I read this. 795 million people daily lack the necessary food to live a healthy lifestyle. That's almost one out of every eight people in this world lack the necessary food to live a happy lifestyle. Listen to this. 25,000 people die daily from starvation around the world. That brings the annual count to 9.1 million people yearly who die from starvation. By the way, of that 9.1 million people who die from starvation every year, 3.1 of those people are children under the age of five years old. Can I tell you something? Hunger is a real problem in our world today. People are hungry. What about this? People are thirsty. Listen to this. Over one billion people in this world, that's one out of every eight of us, do not have access to clean drinking water. Almost 2.2 million people die yearly from uh, diseases caused by contaminated drinking water. Can I tell you something? Hunger and thirst is a real problem in our world today. I don't think you and I can sit here and say, man, there's anything happy about being hungry or there's anything happy about being thirsty. But you've got to understand what Jesus is saying in this text. Let's read on. Look at verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. Now notice, after righteousness. In other words, Jesus said, hey, if you really want to be happy, be hungry and be thirsty for righteousness. Now I grew up. I don't remember anything hardly about the 1960s, but I grew up in the 70s. You know that hippie age, Woodstock, right there in the late 60s, and, and uh, the hippie age, the long hair, the beads, the peace sign, you know, the bell-bottom britches and, and the psychedelic colors. I grew up in that age. I, I remember vividly those days. And one of the words that people used, I was just a child, so I didn't use it, but one of the words that people used back in those days was the word righteous. In other words, they say this, Man, that's righteous, dude. Y'all remember that? 
Man, that's righteous. Well, what does it mean to be righteous? Well, you've got to understand, in the Bible there are two types of righteousness. First of all, there is a positional righteousness, and then there is a practical righteousness. Now, what is a positional righteousness? Well, that's what you receive the moment that you trust Jesus. God declares you and me to be righteous. Let me show it to you. Look up on the screens. Here's a verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for who? For us. We're the guilty ones. So God made Jesus to be sin for us. And then it goes on to say that Jesus knew no sin, but then it goes on to say that we, the sinners, might be made righteous, the righteousness of God in Jesus. In other words, when you got saved, God took your sins and put them on the account of Jesus, and God took the righteousness of Jesus who never sinned and put it to your account, and now God looks at you and me as being righteous. Man, you explainify that one, Bubba. How did God do that? The word, the Bible word is imputed. means to lay to the account of. I used to work at a grocery store right at the foot of the mountains in, in Cana, Virginia. I mean, almost right as you start up the mountain, there was a grocery store there. And at the time, the grocery store had running accounts. And most of the people that had the accounts did the running. They didn't want to pay their accounts. But sometimes they would call me out of the back to run the register. When they'd get busy, they'd call me, and i have to go up there and run the register. And so here's a guy, he's got a groceries, and we add them all up, and I'm punching in the buttons and everything. And then he looks at me, and he says this, sod it down. Now, after a while, I learned what sod it down means. You know what that means? Put it on the account. I ain't got the money to pay for it. Sod it down. I'll pay it later. Well, watch this. When Jesus died on the cross, and then when you and I, understanding how empty we are, our nothingness, and we weep and we mourn over that condition, and we give our lives to the Lord Jesus, God puts our sins and sots it down on the account of Jesus. And God takes the righteousness of His Son who never sinned and sots it down on our account. And God looks at us now through the shed blood of His Son and sees us as righteous. <laughs> I'm a pretty righteous dude because of what Jesus did. That's positional. But now that positionally I have been made righteous, practically, I ought to live righteous. Can I have an amen? Now, now that God has declared me to be righteous because I've received the work that His Son did for me on the cross of Calvary, man, it ought to make a difference in the way I live. I ought to live righteous. That's the reason we read this verse. Look at this. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. The next verse says this, teaching us that denied ungodliness and... Uh, and, uh, and worldly lust, that we should live soberly. What's the next word? There it is. You see, now that I'm righteous, I ought to be righteous. Now that I've been declared righteous, I ought to live a righteous life. Now watch this. Now that I'm saved, one of the best ways that I can demonstrate to others that I've gotten a family is by living righteous. 
It's by letting them see that, the, that, that what Jesus did in my heart has made a difference in my life. I ought to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Listen to me. Hear me and hear me. You know the old preachers used to say it like this. Knowing Jesus will cause you to love what you used to hate and to hate what you used to love. Can I ask you something? Is there a hunger in your life for right? Is there a hunger in your life for Jesus? Is there a desire? Is there a thirst in your life for Jesus? Or are you like most people? You got about all the Jesus you want. Amen. Man, there ought to be, there ought to be something on the inside of us. The deep calling to the deep. You know the best definition I can give you of that? Deep calling to the deep. You know, have you ever seen when it gets real dry outside? I'm talking about real dry and the ground cracks open. Have you ever seen that happen before? When the drought comes and first thing you know, there's a big old crack comes in the ground. You know what that is? That's the deep. Calling to the deep. That's the dry crying out for moisture. But I'll tell you something. If you're saved, if you're in the family, hey, I'll tell you, there ought to be a desire. There ought to be something calling out on the inside of you for more and more and more of Jesus. You ought to hunger and thirst. You'll never be happy as long as you're hungering and thirsting for anything else. Now, I plan on in just a little while going home and sitting down to a big meal. You watch me. And then after the meal, it's always a bowl of chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream with milk while the Brady Bunch is on. That's how things work at my house. Everybody goes to bed. I sit in the recliner, throw it in high gear, eat my ice cream, watch a Brady Bunch. That's what happens. So if I had a big old table spread here this morning, I mean, there's all kind of foods and desserts, and, and, and I mean, I got it all laid out, and I said, all right, y'all come on. I could tell who's hungry and who's not hungry because those that would be hungry would probably be at the front of the line and their plates would be loaded down. But you that are not hungry, you'd probably just get a little spoon of this and a little spoon, three or four green beans and three or four green peas. And that's all the green peas anybody can eat, three or four green peas. And, and then you'd, you'd go back and you'd just be scooting that stuff around. You know why? You're not hungry. Now, wait a minute. You know something? I could tell who's hungry and who's not hungry. If, if I fix a big old meal and, and lay it out here before you and I say, y'all come on and eat now and you come up here and you just get a little smidgen of this, a little smidgen of that, I know one of two things about you. Number one, either you're sick, or number two, you've been snacking on junk food before you come to church. You may tell you why people aren't hungry for God. Can I tell you why? Either number one, there's something wrong with their relationship with God, or number two, they've been eating too much junk food from the world. Amen, preacher. I'm talking about the blessedness of hungriness. Let's move on. This is going so good. Let's move on. Not only the blessedness of hungriness, but watch this, the blessedness of tenderness. Now look at verse number 7. Jesus said this, blessed are the merciful. Now what does that mean? The, I'm calling it the blessedness of tenderness. Well, can I tell you this? One of the many things that you and I receive when we receive Jesus, one of the many things we got from Jesus was mercy. Aren't you glad you didn't get justice? Hey, aren't you glad you didn't get what you were entitled to? I know we live in a world today that's screaming, we want justice, we want justice. You know what I'm screaming? I want mercy, I want mercy. I don't want justice. 
If I'd have got just, you know, the old song goes something like this. I was a sinner just struggling along. When God's great hand of mercy reached down from heaven's throne, there at that old altar, I knelt so depressed, but God gave me mercy when my sins I confessed. Aren't you glad God didn't give us justice? Aren't you glad that when we come to God as a broken down, rotten, dirty sinner, mourning over our sins, ready to yield ourselves to God, aren't you glad God didn't say, nope, you get justice. I'm glad God said, I'll give you mercy. Mercy gives me that, keeps me from getting what I deserve. That's the reason in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, we read these words, but God, who is rich in mercy, aren't you glad he's rich? He'll never run out of an abundant supply of mercy. You don't have to say it, I will. Thank God. Amen. Thank God for mercy. We're told over and over again in the book of Psalms that God's a merciful God. Now, wait a minute. If when I come to God, when I come to God, God gave me mercy, then guess what I need to give to others? I need to give to others mercy. That is exactly, that is right. If you've received mercy, you ought to render mercy. If you've been given mercy, you ought to give mercy. Matthew, over a couple of chapters from here, wrote a, uh, wrote a story in his gospel that none of the other four, uh, three writers picked up on. And evidently, when Jesus told that story, Matthew said to himself, when I get home, I'm going to remember this story. It's an amazing story. Here's what Jesus told. Jesus said there was this king one time, and he called in his auditors, and they were going to take account of his books. And so they were going through all the ledgers and adding up all the figures, and something didn't add up. And he realized that one of his servants had embezzled a large sum of money from the treasury of the king. Well, that old boy was called in. I mean, that old boy was called in before the king. And he said, I want to know, I demand to know, have you taken this money? And that old boy said, yes, sir, I have taken every dime of it. He said, sell him, throw him in jail, sell his wife, sell his children, sell his dogs, sell his house, sell everything he's got and bring the money and pay off the embezzlement charge. That old boy fell down with tears streaming down his face and said, Lord, have mercy, have patience, and I will pay thee all that I owe us. And something about them tears touched the heart of that old king, and he looked down at that boy and said, I tell you what, let's just forget the whole thing. I'm just going to mark it off. I'm just going to forget the whole thing. Just write it off. You're forgiven fully, finally, freely, forever. It's done. You don't owe a dime. Man, can you imagine how he felt? He then leaves the presence of the king. He's walking down the street, and he runs into a guy that he, lent, he loaned a $5 bill one time. Now, wait a minute. He's just been forgiven this insurmountable debt. He runs into a guy that owes him five bucks. He said, hey, I want my $5 back. The man said, I don't have it. And he said, police, police. Can I say what I said in the 830 crowd? Can I say it right now? That's in the days before the police were, were villains. That's before the days. That's when live PD was on. That's when, bless God, Chase was on the case in Paw Patrol. Before they canceled it. That's before we made villains out of police officers who were there for our protection. Amen, preacher. Police, police. And he had no boy thrown into jail for five bucks when he had just been forgiven a $5 million indebtedness. And you know what? That king found out about it. That king reinstated his debt. 
The, that king had that boy thrown into jail, sold his wife, sold his property, sold it all. And the moral of the story is this. If you've been given mercy, you better give mercy. Can I tell you something? You want to be happy. You're going to get hurt in this walk of life. People are going to say bad things about you. They're going to write bad stuff about you on them stinking Facebooks because they ain't got, bless God, enough gumption to say it to your face. They're going to write bad stuff about you on Facebook. They're going to gnaw on you. I say gnaw as much as you can. You better gnaw why you can because I tell you, bless your heart, it ain't going to be too long you're going to be able to gnaw on this. And, amen. You go ahead and better gnaw while you can. But I'll tell you what. <laughs> Some of y'all got real quiet on that one, and I'm sorry. That just come out, and I didn't even mean for it to. But I just want to say this. You know what? God gave me mercy. The least I can do is give it to somebody else. I'm never going to be happy trying to hang on to bitterness. I'm never going to be happy trying to hang on to a grudge. Amen. You know what I need to... People have done me wrong. Guess what? I've done others wrong. You know what people do wrong? We have people in our church all the time that go out and mess their lives up and they come back and want forgiveness. And instead of us having this highfalutin attitude like, I knew you wasn't nothing about you to start with. You know what we ought to say? God gave me mercy. And the least I can do is give it to somebody else. Amen. Because can I tell you something? The same way they mess up, if you ain't careful, you might mess up like that. And you're going to need mercy. We're done. Watch this. We're done. The blessedness of hungriness, the blessedness of tenderness. Can I close with this? The blessedness of holiness. Look at verse number 8. You want to show people you're in God's family. Look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity in heart. Jesus said if you really want to be happy, keep your inside clean, in heart. You know those old Pharisees in Jesus' day, they were... They were uh, all about purity, but it was outward purity. So they washed their hands a certain way, and, and, they, and they wouldn't go to certain places. They wouldn't touch or talk to certain people because they had, a, they had a purity. It was all on the outside. And Jesus said on the inside, you bunch of Pharisees, you're a bunch of people. You, you full of dead men's bones. You're just as rotten to the core on the inside. All they want to do is keep the outside clean. Amen. There's a lot of church people like that. They want to show that outward purity, but the inside they're full of dead men's bones. You're welcome. That's right. Jesus said, I tell you, don't have that kind of purity. Be pure in heart. You know, we call that word holiness. And you don't hear much about that anymore in churches, about being holy. But can I tell you something? God has called us to be holy. Look at these verses right here. The Bible said this, But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or lifestyle. For it is written, Be ye holy, for I, God's a holy God. You know something? We're, we we, we, we want to live on the edge. We wanna, we, here's the line of the world. We, we're not interested in getting away from that line. We want to walk. We want to live right here on the edge of the world, try to hang on to the world with one hand, Hang on to God with the other hand and somehow or another get through life and, and thinking, man, I'll tell you, we are really doing well. Can I tell you something? A, a true child of God don't want to walk, live life on the edge. He wants to try to move away from the edge. He wants to try to walk in holiness. You'll never be happy. I'll never be happy trying to have, 
have a hold of the world with one hand and hang on to God with the other hand. There's going to be a constant pull in my life, and I'll never be happy. You know what we need to do? We need to break off with the world and hang on to Jesus. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. And I'm done, but I want you to look at this. The Bible said this, verse 8, the promise is, we shall see God. Oh, you mean, preacher, if we'll, if we'll be right on the inside, we get to see God out there on the sweet by and by. Well, yeah, but I think we also get to see him in the nasty now and now. Because here's what's true, and we're done. Watch this. Well, that's a good thought. Can I just stop and preach that while we're there? <laughs> People want to live ungodly. Get off of that. I've done made everybody mad anyway, so let's go on to the next one. Yeah, that's good too. There we go. The cleaner you keep your heart, the windows of your heart, the better you can see Jesus. Pure. You want to be happy? Keep your heart clean. Keep him old sins out of your heart. When you sin, confess it. Get it under the blood of Jesus. And the Bible said we can move on and we can see God. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.